What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. This is the Tom Hartman Program. So what do you do when you try to overthrow a government and you lose, you don't succeed, and you want to try again, basically? I mean, you know, what do you do? Well, I can tell you what the Confederacy did. They turned their dead into martyrs. They turned their leaders into heroes. And they did their very best for a hundred years or more to make them heroes for the entire nation. They named military bases after generals, after Confederate traitor generals. They put up statues all across the United States to white supremacists, to Klan leaders, to Nathan Bed- Bedford Forrest, the founder of the Klan. He's got a statue in the Capitol building. I mean, they, they, this, is, this is what you do. You create uh, an alternative narrative about what happened, and you turn the people who were the actual criminals, the actual traitors, the people who tried to overthrow the government, the people who tried to destroy your country, the people who tried to destroy your democracy, you turn them into martyrs. And then as martyrs, you sanctify them. You turn them into saints. And that's exactly what the what uh, right-wing America and the Republican Party and Donald Trump and Fox News and all of the right-wing hate radio right across the board. That's what they are up to right now with Ashley Babbitt. Ashley Babbitt is one of the five protesters. I believe it was five of them who uh, who died on the day of January 6th. She was the only one who was actually killed by the police. She was shot by the police. And she was, she was there to try and overturn the government. She was there to try to, to stop the, the counting of the election. She was there to participate in an effort to try to hang the vice president of the United States, to murder the vice president of the United States, and to murder the Speaker of the House of Representatives. She was so deep, up to her eyeballs, so deep inside these Facebook groups the, the, she was an Air Force veteran. She was trained in how to kill. She was trained in, in military tactics. This is one of the reasons why she was one of the very first people at that window 
to try to break into what was the this was the 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 chamber right outside the house chamber if if they had if they had successfully gotten through there when at the time that she was shot i mean it was just minutes later that they cleared the house chamber entirely we would be, we may well have dead members of congress she was one of the people trying to murder the vice president tried to murder the secret the, the the speaker of the house and probably any other member of congress that got in their way you recall one of the uh, audio pieces of evidence that the fbi released uh, a week or so ago was one of these i forget which one of the militia groups it was but one of the militia groups leaders uh, saying on his uh, walkie-talkie to everybody else all the members of the house are down in the tunnels you know down below the capitol building you know does anybody have any poison gas or time to bring in the poison gas and apparently they didn't have the gas with them or didn't you know whatever but these people were deadly serious and trump is now coming along this is what he said on his july 3rd rally in florida he said who shot ashley babbitt we all saw the hand we saw the gun you know, if that were on the other side, the person that did the shooting would be strung up and hung, okay? Now, they don't want to give the name. And he's talking about the police officer who shot Ashley Babbitt. They don't want to give the name. It's a terrible thing, right? Shot, boom, it's a terrible thing. One of the memes, and this isn't often mentioned, but one of the memes that's going around the, the right-wingosphere, particularly in these hardcore right-wing Facebook, private Facebook groups, some of which have literally hundreds of thousands of members, is that the officer who shot Ashley Babbitt was actually part of a protective detail for Nancy Pelosi or some other Democrat. That is not the case. That is a lie. This was the Capitol Police. Another argument that they have made is that it was a black officer who killed this white lady. Now, where have I heard that before? Oh, yeah, Emmett Till. Oh, yeah, burning down Tulsa. Back in, in what was it, 1919, whatever the year was that, uh, that Tulsa was burned. This is like such an old trope. But they are rolling it out again and... You know, the white supremacists in, uh, who, who are following Donald Trump and the Republican Party, they are all in with it. Yes, you know, let's find out who, who was that black guy who was defending Nancy Pelosi, who shot our wonderful white Christian lady who was such a martyr and she was so perfect, you know. And here we are. And this is gaining traction now on right-wing media. It's just, it's just breathtaking when you think about, you know, who's doing what and how it gets done with regard to all of these, uh, these efforts to destroy the country, essentially. If, if people on the left were doing a fraction, I mean, you know, the, the Weather Underground killed a half a dozen people and blew up a couple of buildings and was vilified for decades by Republicans. This is the Tom Hartman program. I, I, I just, this concerns me tremendously, this making of martyrs. They are doing what the Confederacy did successfully and they're doing it again.
Uh, whew, it's amazing, right? Rob in Cleveland, Ohio. Hey, Rob, what's on your mind today? Uh, well, I was thinking uh, about how a couple days ago one of your uh, callers had said something about Biden needing to use Scripture to try to win back evangelicals, and it made me think about the fact that you have three factions that are all overlapping, QAnon, evangelical Christians, and Trump supporters. All and they them, do overlap a lot, yeah. Yeah. And the, the one thing that they have, especially in common, if you ask a QAnon supporter to defend a position or answer a question, they don't defend it. They tell you that they believe it, and they tell you that it's simply their position, and they answer a question with a question. The other thing is that if you ask an evangelical, you can't really talk to them about their faith, because faith doesn't require proof. It is faith. It is right. belief. Faith and, is a, the belief in the things unseen, essentially, yes. Yeah, and uh, with Trump supporters, it's basically the same thing. You know, he's going to be reinstated in August, uh, you know, because Mike Lindell says so, I guess, or something. Yeah, Lindell actually Lindell yesterday they, walked that back a little bit, but <laughs> I get okay. it. Yeah. So uh, had he not done that, then eventually they would have come up with another date after August 13th had passed or whatever. Yeah. So, you know, now, August 13th, decided, by the way, is National Kool-Aid Day. Uh, <laughs> proclaimed years ago by the company. But the uh, Trump Hotel has raised prices for, uh, for uh, August 13th. So, you know, uh, the Trump Hotel in Washington, D.C. So apparently they're expecting something. Well, it'll be interesting. They took down the barricades around the Capitol. We'll see whether that was a good idea or not. Yeah. may not have been. Yeah. So it's all based, it's all faith-based. Nobody has to answer your question if you, you know, want to do any quick thinking skills questioning or something because they don't have to use critical thinking skills. Yeah. But it's all just confirmation bias. And that's why I think that labeling QAnon as a religious cult and, uh, you know, doing explicitly labeling QAnon as a religious cult, and now the FBI has said that they are also a, a domestic terror threat. These, frankly, I believe simple realities don't get anywhere near enough coverage in the media. Uh, you know, we... no, when, was, when was the last time a church began as a uh, religious cult and uh, uh, also a terrorist organization? Well, and also a terrorist organization. A <laughs> when was it? I'm afraid it might. I'm afraid it might. Yeah. There are a number of people who have said they yeah. think that uh, Cuban will become our next religion. Well, the, the, the origins of, of uh, Mormonism, of the Ch- Church of Jesus Christ of the Latter-day Saints, have um, some very bizarre and some very violent pieces to them. Um, yeah. Uh, the Seventh-day Adventists, no violence there, Ellen, Ellen White. I'm not sure about the Jehovah's Witnesses. You know, a lot of these, um, essentially I call them cults. I, you know, the, the, the Mormons have probably become more of a so-called mainstream religion, but well, and the Seventh-day Adventists actually are pretty mainstream, but a lot of them started out, you know, in these in these weird little ways. But but uh, this this QAnon thing is a, you know, they're they're merging politics with um, religion, and that's that's very very toxic. Rob, thank you for the call. It's dangerous stuff. Welcome back. Tom Harmon here with you. And on the line with us is Congresswoman Pramila Jayapal 
of uh, Washington State, the uh, 7th District of Washington State, the chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus, the senior whip of the Democratic Caucus, serves on a number of committees, including House Budget, House Judiciary, Jayapal, J-A-Y-A-P-A-L.House.gov, and Rep. Jayapal on Twitter. Representative Jayapal, welcome back. Tell us about this ultra-millionaire tax act of 2021. This sounds fascinating. Yes. Well, this is the bill. And hi, Tom. It's great to be with you. you. This is the bill that Elizabeth Warren and I have introduced that is basically saying we need to actually start taxing wealth across the board. So we tax it in very small ways right now in terms of when somebody dies, their estate is assessed. And so we look at wealth there. But it's it's minimal. We do tax real estate, which ends up being disproportionately burdened for working people because working people have, if they have, are lucky enough to have a house or real estate, then it is probably the majority of their wealth versus for very rich people. So this says, listen, your first 50 million is free and clear, but at 50 million plus one, you are going to be taxed two cents on every dollar of wealth. And if you reach Uh, a billion, then you're going to be taxed three cents on every dollar. And just that alone, from very few families, frankly, that have that kind of wealth in America, it's so concentrated up at the top. So that's the ultra-millionaires tax. It also goes right to the question of racial, the racial wealth gap, because if you look at wealth in this country um, and the way in which wealth is accumulated at the very top and uh, never makes it down to, you know, to folks of color, to the poorest people, to the most vulnerable people, um, it is a big solution for dealing with um, the racial wealth gap as well. Yeah, trickle-down was a cruel hoax. So uh, yeah. uh, tell me about the, how, what kind of support you're getting within the Democratic caucus. I'm guessing that no Republicans are going to be enthusiastic about this. Um, but- well, no, they won't. But I think that this is an extremely popular idea that Senator Warren, of course, pushed on the campaign trail. Uh, the fact that it only hits the top 0.05% of households, I think, is a big selling point in the sense that you see how much money is at the very top, how few people are affected. And if you just took some of the, the wealth that has been generated and concentrated at the very top and distributed it, we would be able to invest in everything from climate justice to housing to, you know, all of our priorities, health care, education. Um, so I think that there is there is good support. Um, you know, I think that this is an idea that got a lot of boost because of the um, leaked tax returns of Bezos and others, where it, it showed exactly how little they have paid in taxes and how much wealth has grown. I mean, just in one day last week, Bezos made $4.8 billion, just in one day. Whoa. So we have got to make sure that we're taxing wealth and just taxing income sufficiently is not sufficient because it is actually just a very small piece of overall wealth. And that is the wealth that generates more wealth then and leads to that ultra concentration. Yeah, one of the things that uh, if you look at the uh, history of the Gini coefficient, you know, inequality in, in America, it was it was fairly reasonable. It was, you know, in European yeah. levels throughout the 50s, 60s, 70s and early 80s. But they changed the way that, in a a whole wide variety of ways, that billionaires can essentially extract money out of their investments or out of their businesses. 
so that it doesn't come as quote income and so it's not subject to income taxes exactly. and, uh, and and so this is a way of recovering it I think the probably the the two most important points are that number one prior to the Reagan changes in our tax code we actually were taxing wealthy people. We had a top 74% yes. income tax rate and a, a top corporate tax rate that was in the neighborhood of 50%. And, and, yes. and that served as a, as a kind of a cap, essentially, to income that prevented massive wealth from erupting and, and is now you know, erupting like, like uh, uh, it's incredible. And then secondly, that that middle class people who own their own homes, which is uh, I think 70% of American families, I pay a wealth tax every single year. I mean, I, I own a house, I pay a wealth tax uh, on my house. My house is my single largest investment. It's the largest asset that I have. Um, and I pay a tax on that every year. And why is it that uh, billionaires are not paying a tax on their money bins? Right. And so one of the pushbacks we get, and that's why I mentioned the House piece right up front, because one of the pushbacks we get from people who don't want to do this is they say, oh, it's too hard. You know, we don't know how to tax wealth. And I'm like, mm, not true. Number one, to your first point, we used to. Number two, we are doing it right now. We do it with housing and we do it when people die. So at that point, when somebody dies, you do do, the IRS does do an assessment of wealth. And so all this is saying is, instead of just doing it when people die, we would do it from the get-go for everybody, and then it would be updated every year. And by the way, you know, it's unfair that middle-class Americans, working people who save and save and save to put that down payment down on a house and to own a house, ultimately, if they're lucky enough to do that in this environment, in this economy, that gets taxed at disproportionate rates because it it is it makes up a disproportionate share of whatever your assets are as a working person versus Jeff Bezos or, you know, whoever, Bill Gates. They have multiple properties that make up actually a very small percentage of their overall wealth. So they are it's it's a it's a regressive tax system. If you think about how we're taxing this one piece of wealth right now, why can't we tax all wealth? So that people are paying their fair share. Yeah, or at least all over the top wealth, as you said, all over, over the top over wealth. 50 That's mil right. That's over right. 50 million. That's right. um, I, I, I like the metaphor of Scrooge McDuck's uh, money bin. <laughs> I grew up reading down yeah. comic books, and <laughs> and uh, it, it's just like you know, if if I have to pay a wealth tax on my house every year, and I do, and it's thousands of dollars, and I'm paying a wealth tax every year, and I'm a middle class guy, then why? Do the guys, why do, why do people like Jeff Bezos not have to pay a wealth tax on their money bin? Why do I have to right. pay it on my house and he doesn't have to pay it on his money bin? And right. so we're talking with uh, Representative Pramila Jayapal about this ultra millionaire tax act of 2021. It seems like the messaging battle is going to be the biggest battle. How are you planning to confront that? Well, I think it's really that this is limited to the top 0.05% of households. So if you're in the 99.95% of Americans who don't have $50 billion, uh, or more, you're not even going to be affected in terms of the tax, but you will be affected by what we're able to generate for you to be able to have the kind of opportunity for your kids to save your planet, to get your health care, all of those investments. So when we're constantly being told there's no money, let's be clear – 
there is money from the 0.05% of Americans at the very top who have all this wealth but aren't paying taxes on it. There are piles of money. They're using it to launch themselves into outer space. (laughs) (laughs) uh, Congresswoman Jayapal, thanks so much for dropping by and for the great work you're doing, uh, particularly leading the Progressive Caucus there in Congress. I, I so appreciate it. Thank you for dropping by. Thank you, Tom. Always great talking to you. We will be back with more of the news of the day and your calls right after this. So stick around. You think that the Republican Party is actually going to get away with turning an insurrectionist, you know, yes, a white woman into a martyr? Sometimes Louise and I just crave a restaurant-quality dinner at home without doing all the work or driving. Well, Cook Unity is the first chef-to-you service delivering locally sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your door every week. And it appears to be less expensive than other delivery options. Go to cookunity.com Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. We just received our first meals from Cook Unity And what a huge difference it is to get the best chefs in the country to bring creative, delicious meals to us and you every week. Every meal is handcrafted by chefs and made in local micro kitchens, not large production facilities. We just had the chipotle maple glazed salmon with green beans and mango pico de gallo. It had everything we love in a meal. They have all sorts of options like vegan, paleo, pescatarian, gluten-free, and more. Menus are posted two weeks in advance so you have plenty of time to choose. Experience chef-quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman or going to cookunity.com slash Hartman. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Ivan in El Paso, Texas. Hey, Ivan, what's on your mind today? Good morning, Mr. Tom Harmon, uh, calling from El Paso. And the reason for my call is because I would like to, um, my thought is that the reason why in the situation, for me, is very frightening All, uh, of, of what happened on January 6th. And, and it's an alarm sounds about my, what it might going to happen next. And why is the main cause of this? The media, I'll keep on insisting, the right-wing media, not only on TV, which is Fox News, AON or Newsmax. There's a lot of uh, radio stations in every market, in rural areas also, that mm-hmm. they believe on right wing. What is urgent for this country is to have a progressive media that can be reached to millions. Because um, Well, you're listening to me on one right now. You're listening to SiriusXM, and we are all across the country on SiriusXM. 
So uh, it yeah, is a start. Um, but yes, I get your point. The, this was the Powell memo in 1971. Lewis Powell said, hey, rich conservatives, if you want to get richer, you need to take over the media. You need to build, you know, radio and television networks. You need, and, and sure enough, they did. So Ivan, I, I completely agree with you. And without Fox News, without Rupert Murdoch, I mean, Kevin Rudd, the former prime minister uh, or president, I guess is prime minister in Australia, wrote an op-ed called, uh, Rupert Murdoch is the cancer at the heart of Australian democracy. He was, he, and this was a former prime minister. And, he, and he, he is very outspoken about how the Murdoch family basically you know, ruined Australia, then moved to England and did the same thing there, and then moved to the United States and did the same thing here. We've got a serious media problem. I'm with you. Ivan, thank you for the call. John in Center Ospie, New Hampshire. Hey, John, what's on your mind today? Hi, Tom. How are you? Good. What's um, up? It just, I just wanted to make one quick point, and I'll go to my, uh, my question I had for you. Ashley Babbitt herself is also armed. I mean, she had a taser as well as um, a knife. Oh, I didn't know that. So, wow, yeah. thank you. Yeah, that was in the report, you know, when they filed it. But anyways, my question was, was basically the, the Supreme Court itself, based on the, especially Scalia's ruling on the, you know, civil rights, you know, voting rights, you know, for civil rights. Mm -hmm. if, if the Democrats happen to pass, you know, do an end around and get H.R. 1 and H.R. 4 passed, don't you believe that the states will immediately challenge that and take that yes. to the Supreme Court? Oh, yeah, of course they will. It's, uh, it, they've already got the lawsuits planned. Yes, uh, they've already uh, proclaimed that they will do so. And it may get struck down by the Supreme Court. But at least, you know, we're putting a marker. We're starting the process. Not all of it will get struck down by the court. This situation has to come to a head, John. It's scary. We, it's, we, it's scary, Tom. Yeah, we have a political party that not only denies science, saying things like climate change isn't real, and not only does not want the actual history of the United States taught because they want to continue to promote white supremacy, basically. They don't want a multiracial democracy. They don't want everybody participating. But now, in order to enforce that belief that, that uh, you know, the old confederacy, basically, that's what this is. This is the old confederacy. They are trying to, and not just trying to, they have passed 28 laws in 17 states saying that uh, essentially, you know, it's, it's going to be harder for you to vote if you are poor, if you are black, if you are young, or if you are old, number one. And number two, if we don't like the way that you voted, we can simply ignore the election or we can disqualify you as a voter and throw you yeah. off the voting rolls anytime we want. And the Supreme Court has, uh, to a, uh, a frightening extent, backed them up on that. But we've yeah. got, we, you know, just because you're going to, doing something is, you know, step A is going to lead to a fight over step B doesn't mean you don't do step A. We've got to start there. John, thank you for the call. Mike in Bryan, Texas. I just wanted to talk about our governor. As you know, he has uh, politicized law enforcement even further. He's operating a, a kind of crypto fascist operation. How uh, so? Trying to, what causes you to say well, that, Mike? Well, uh, he's given people to make arrests of our rightfully elected Democrat and independent legislators. Yeah, well, he has the, I mean, you know, it's, it's apparently against the law in Texas to flee the, the state in order to deny the, the, the legislature a quorum. Uh, and so, you know, if he's got the law, he can enforce it. It's, it's not like, uh, are you suggesting this is selective enforcement? I mean, I thought they were threatened with arrest the last time they left town. Absolutely. And I'm sure you probably remember that our 
fascists in law enforcement were emboldened enough to publicly declare support for Donald Trump before the last election, which was something, you know, that civil people in a civil society normally did not do. Um, but t- talking about laws, uh, I-, I mean, their selective uh, uh, application of the law and the Constitution is just astounding. But I wanted to ask you, because I know you've talked about fascism before, uh, if you studied the phalange and, like, th- that little uh, uh, radical uh, racial racist faction of the Catholic Church, and this is alluding to appointments of the Supreme Court, and uh, their support to Mussolini and uh, Hitler, especially in Catholic Barbaria, and, and how even though the upwelling majority of, of Catholics support the Pope and, and his Christ-like teachings— there is just that minority, just like in our body politic, this 30, roughly 30 percent, that it's their way or the highway, yeah. and they're using any means, however violent. And I'm sure you know that our governor in Texas, Mr. Abbott, hasn't allowed people to carry concealed handguns. Yeah, I know. As they please in the state. <laughs> yeah, I know. And, but, you know, I, and, and, and I get what you're saying. I, I think that it's not so much like let's treat this as a conspiracy theory. I think we need to understand it in a much larger frame. Uh, John Dean, uh, Richard Nixon's old attorney or, or the you know, White House counsel, just published a new book about this. He had a, a previous book as well. This one he wrote, co-authored with Bob Altmaier, who originally wrote a book called The Authoritarians back about 15, 20 years ago. And that, now the two of them have a new book out, which follows on Dean's last book that he was on this show about conservatives without conscience. And what they're arguing is that pretty much anybody in the field of psychology will tell you that about 20%, roughly, maybe as much as 30% of the population have strong authoritarian tendencies, the vast majority of them being authoritarian followers. There's a small number of authoritarian leaders. The authoritarian leaders and the authoritarian followers fit together like a lock and a key. And, uh, and so, so you have that authoritarian movement within the Catholic Church. You've got that authoritarian movement within the Republican Party. There's, I'm, I'm guessing there's an authoritarian movement in the Democratic Party, although I'm not real familiar with it. Um, it, it might be that, you know, we're kind of the anti-authoritarians. But, but I, you know, I yes. think that, that that's, that's just a reality of human nature that we have to acknowledge and figure out how to work around because authoritarianism can destroy democracy really, really rapidly. Mike, thanks a lot for the call. Nice to hear from, uh, from our Texas listeners. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. Back with more of your calls in just a moment. It's the Tom Hartman Program. Helping you in the water cooler folks. Claire in Fort Worth, Texas. Claire, it says uh, you, you wanted to correct me about Texas voting laws. What did I get wrong? Uh, the first thing is that we no longer deny on driver's licenses unless they're expired four years. That's because oh, really? Jim Wright tried. Yeah, that's okay. because Jim Wright tried to vote on an expired license. So there you go. Oh, really? But, yeah, yeah, Jim yeah, Wright used to be yeah. in what? He was the Speaker of the House at one point, wasn't he? I mean, yes, sir. Yeah. Yes, sir. Okay, so we took that first voter ID bill to court, and that was one of the resolutions. The other one was that if you don't have that ID and you cannot obtain one, we have an alternate method to mm-hmm. allow a person to vote. Right. So, 
But you've got we to can, jump through some, get some hopes to get there, right? I mean, you've got to go, we can got to go someplace um, or do something. Oh, no. They, if they bring in the little card we get every two years that says that we are registered, uh-huh. if they bring that in and something official that's at the same address, right. like the utility bill or their, something like that, mm-hmm. we'll vote them. It won't be provisional. The state does not determine our voting locations. We do. The county commissioner's court has to approve the election board's choices. Mm-hmm. So we're getting new precincts this year, so they're going to drop a new map, and then they'll say, okay, we now we've got 325 precincts. We have 325 voting locations. We're going to cut these back because this one, this one, this one, this one don't have any turnout, so we're going to pull them all together at this big one that's around the corner, and everybody goes there and vote. We do not have to vote in our home precinct. We can vote at any of those 325 locations on Election Day. We have 50 early voting locations, and anybody can vote there. I really have no patience with people who stand in line in our metropolitan counties because there's so many options. Harris County has like 800. So it's... uh, so, Claire, it it's says here you're, you're an election chair. Or, or, I'm an election judge, judge and precinct yeah. chair. Okay. And, so uh, so, so I've so. read, uh, in fact, I read it in the New York Times last week, that Texas has the most restrictive voting laws in the country. Uh, what you're um, telling me seems to contradict that. What am I missing, and how will, those, how, will, how will things change if this law that uh, Greg Abbott is championing right now gets passed? Um, the things that I have mentioned to you... Um, they might mess with that four-year thing, although I doubt it because a federal uh, appeals court uh, kind of rewrote that mm-hmm. voter, uh, voter ID bill. VZV Texas was the case. Mm-hmm. Um, but And they could try to mess with that, but I haven't found that that's addressed in the bill. Yeah. So, And they're not going to mess with uh, voting centers or countywide voting because – that was something that all the counties got together and wanted to do. And all of our big counties with the big populations are using it mm-hmm. because it's so helpful. And yeah. the counties love it because they can cut down on the number of people they have to pay and the rent they have to pay on locations. So it's a pretty good thing. And um, I'm a court-appointed alternate judge, so mm-hmm. the commissioner's court has to appoint me. Any changes that we make in the precinct layout or voting locations has to be approved by the commissioner's court. Right. Commissioner's court had to approve our new voting system. And we have 100% paper trail on everything. Crystal Mason was put in jail by a local judge. Mm-hmm. And that's in appeal. That's going to be in appeal forever. Mm-hmm. And the guy down in Houston needs to join that case. Yeah. But uh, I think that's everything. I'm running out of breath. Okay. <laughs> But, no, it's you know, better you got, than, like, we're not fooling around with water and food. It's hot down here, and we'll have cases of water outside that 100-foot line. Now, the one thing that we did because of COVID that they might mess with is we did have a form of drive-through voting. Right. It was just for people who had mail-in ballots, and because of all the things, our elections office set up a voting system at our central office, one location, but we had 25 little tents where people could pull under that tent, show their ID, hand over their sealed ballot to a person, right. and it would go in and go through the so normal process. So they weren't process. actually even voting, drive-through voting, and they call it drive-through voting, but it was actually drive-through hand in your, your uh, what do you exactly. call it, absentee ballot. 
And we were always allowed to do that, but only on election day. And I was like, oh, I forgot to mail this. Let me go take it up there. But the COVID and the post office and everything, this, the governor did this. Right. Um, When they did some other things to do COVID, um, the governor says, okay, you can drop those ballots off at the designated location for the entire early voting period, which starts when we get our ballot in the mail, those of us who get So we had this constant, constant stream of people for that whole three weeks dropping off ballots at the elections office. Right, and they're trying to do away with that. um, I mean, that's what I'm reading in the paper. Yeah, yeah. Now, we didn't do what Houston did where we we set it up uh, for for all kinds of voting. Mm -hmm. You know, you could, right. But curbside voting with our system is a pain in the neck, and we hate it. It's a mess, and it's it's an exception for disabled people in this county. Right. Well, that's but, that's actual uh, voting, not handing in the ballot. But they're but exactly. but, but what they're it trying to do right now is even deal. stop that you can hand in the ballot. Yeah, I do not know what's going to come out of that. I haven't read anything that we're not going to be able to. But they may cut that time back to election day only. Yeah. But we, we've never had drop boxes. That is not new. That okay. is very old. Well, Claire, you've so, been very informative. <laughs> I try to be. <laughs> and I do appreciate it. <laughs> thank you very much. I need to move along, but thank you for the call. It's yes, great to do. hear from you. And thank, thank you for watching you. for the speech. Bye-bye. Good talking with you. Hillary in Bernie, Texas. Hey, Hillary. What's up? Yeah, we're on a rant because we hate our governor. I have three topics all related to Texas, what's going on. You had Claire on, who was an election official, who said how safe our machines are, which they're not. They've been sold a bill of goods about the ES&S express vote machines. And I refer to Jenny Cohen, who's um, an election security. Yeah, okay. So she's Jenny, C-O-H-N-1, on Twitter, who constantly talks about how express vote meets all state must-haves, but it's not a paper trail. They have sold it as a paper trail, and the election officials who buy it believe it's a paper trail, but it's not. You go home with a little piece of paper, but it's not the same as filling out a hand-marked paper ballot. It's right. not countable like a hand-marked paper ballot. So it's not... Uh, Is this they the, have the, the, the contraption that, produce, that, that prints out what looks like a filled-in ballot that's got a QR code yes. on it, and then they read the QR code rather than the ballot itself? Yes. And you that's walk the problem? From, you go... Because you have no yeah, idea what that like QR a, code carries? Right. It's like a touch screen. And then you walk with your little printout and you drop it in a box. But mm-hmm. so I read extensively about it because my county was about to buy them and I jumped and screamed, but they bought them anyway. Yeah. So and then I'd like to over that one. And I got an email this morning from my representative, Chip Roy, who's the jerk who this week actually finally told the truth about what the GOP is doing. Mm. Um so I never gave them my email address, so I'm sure they're purchasing email addresses of their constituents. And I got an innocuous email about renewing my passport and how the lines are long, and I was subscribed to his email feed. Huh. So I wrote back something that was, uh, you know, should be edited, but I voted for Wendy. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm sure, you know, my email went straight to the FBI, but I had to unsubscribe. So That's I think they're doing 
Yeah, and I'm one, not a registered Democrat. I'm yeah, an independent on purpose. One of the things that I've done, Hillary, is when I'm signing up for a site, like when I signed up with Donald Trump, I signed up as Fred Flintstone. Um, when I signed up with one of the larger right-wing groups, I signed up as Barney Rubble. When I actually have to use my name, the middle name that I plug in is always the name of that website. So if I'm registering myself with Walgreens Pharmacy, I'm Thomas Walgreen Hartman. And that way, when I get an email that's to Thomas Walgreen Hartman from you know Macy's trying to sell me something, I know who sold my list or sold that's my name. That's Okay, that's good. That's interesting. Yeah, so, it's, it's served me uh, well I, over so the I years. Think, <laughs> yeah, so I think they're buying email lists yeah. and to yeah. their constituents. Pro and probably just the lists of registered voters. I mean, those lists are uh, easily well, available. Okay. Yeah, list of registered independents they're going after now. So, yeah, uh, could be. You know, okay, and, and the other thing I just wanted to talk quickly about is the Republican who was arrested for voter fraud in uh, near San Antonio in February for trying to get himself reelected. Thomas Ramirez, he's actually a personal injury lawyer in San Antonio with one of those, you know, TV ads. Call me. I, yeah, I'm going to yeah, call yeah, yeah. Amazing. Hillary, I got to run. I'm sorry. Hear more about that. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Patrick in East Lansing, Michigan. Hey, Patrick, what's up? Hi, I was calling about the caller who said it uh, didn't know if it was a crime for the Texas, 58 Texas legislators to leave the state. Oh, you know and the I answer. Listened, I do. And it raises a huge, big issue connected to what's wrong with the bill. The 58 legislators were on a bunch of national talk programs, and this has been written up extensively. So the answer is really simple. It's not a crime. No crime has been committed. Governor Abbott's saying the opposite, that it is a crime. Number two, if it was a crime, there's absolutely no right to enforce it outside the state of Texas. There's no out-of-state jurisdiction. Governor Abbott knows that, and he's saying the opposite, that he can go find them in D.C., this all connects up to what's wrong with the bill. 
And number three, there is a right of the sergeant at arms to enforce the will of a majority of the legislature to order them back, but without a quorum, they can't enforce that. If they could enforce it because they did have a quorum, they could not send the police because the police have no jurisdiction in the Capitol, and the remedy is to bring them to the Capitol and force them to sit there, which is performing their oath of office, to be present. And the our sergeant arms would have to deputize somebody, find them within the state, and bring them back. So that's the answer to the question. But the reason I called was a far bigger reason. Mm-hmm. The legislature has threatened to make it a crime to do what they're doing. The Texas so that was legislature. My point num- yes, but that was my point number five. My points number one through four are the criminal provisions to make it a crime to honestly administer elections so that we can have wholesale voter disenfranchisement among the people who are the least likely to vote, who are the, representing the increase in turnout. There's the four examples that are in the bill, and they're the main reasons these 58 legislators are in Washington, D.C., in our capital. And I've done voter protection work and trained clerks since 92. And if I wrote a wish list about how to let Republicans shut down elections in our urban areas, I would put these provisions in the bill. And that's exactly what they've done. So what are those four provisions, Patrick, that you're specifically identifying? If a clerk honestly administering an election sends an application to a voter who did not request it, they're making it a crime. And in Michigan, our Secretary of State, Jocelyn Benson, sent them to every voter in the state. And that's the wave of the future. Number two, if a clerk excludes a disruptive poll worker, these are partisan party-based poll workers who are there simply to observe, and they're challenging with no basis every voter, which is what Republicans have been doing in Michigan since 92, and when they do it, they shut down the precinct, they create long lines, and they get removed from the precinct. Here, the law says if the clerk excludes a disruptive partisan poll watcher and the burden's on the clerk to show they're not, they're, they're not disruptive, then they make it a crime, Okay. Um, number three, they make, wait a minute. They make it a not, crime to stop the so-called poll watchers. I call them goons. Um, and by the way, this uh, maybe it goes back to the 90s in Michigan, um, but it goes back to the 60s in Arizona, which is where uh, William Rehnquist had started Operation Eagle Eye, which was a, a bunch of white lawyers who would go into Hispanic and Native American communities and challenge every single voter and tie things up and make the lines you know, last hours long and stuff like that. And intimidate a lot of people, force them to go home and get, you know, identification. There were no, there were not ID laws back at the time, and so by challenging the voters, they could force them to go home and get ID or uh, get a, uh, you know, a utility bill, things like that. This goes way, way back. Um, they did that in Michigan in 2008, and they did it again in 2016 on all the college campuses, and we got them all excluded. They did it in 2020 in Flint and Detroit and six other cities. I know all the precincts, and the, the clerks excluded them because they make it impossible to administer the election. Right. And their challenges are basically a violation of the so law. So what Texas it is saying the- is if you try to stop these goons from disrupting the election, you are guilty of the crime, not the goons. Yes, and we're going to get to the larger point of how hard it is to get volunteers to administer elections and what we did. I mean, Mark Zuckerberg gave $800,000 to Flint to pay hazard pay, get high-volume absentee vote counters, and to try to administer the elections because we didn't have a way to open all the precincts in Flint. It's going to be to the point where you can't get anyone to do the job because they don't want to be a criminal. The third one is to criminalize people who apply for a driver's license. And the National Voters Registration Act says that you automatically apply for the right to vote 
The Secretary of State has to prove that they gave you the chance. So most of them default to registering everyone and then exclude the non-citizens afterwards. Mm -hmm. In this Texas law, if a, a county or a state official registers someone for a driver's license and the person happens to be a non-citizen, it is a felony to fill in the wrong box, even if it was an honest mistake. And notice what they're doing. This is a system they're creating. Right now, you're automatically opted in, and then the state excludes you if they can't. They check all the databases and they exclude the non-citizens. And then there's four more checks downstream to make sure non-citizens don't vote. So non-citizens voting is a non-issue. What they're doing is creating an opt-in, and they're putting the burden of proof of citizenship on the person registering. It's going to be a wholesale exclusion of people who are citizens and would be captured by the National Voter Registration Act of 93. And by the threat of a criminal penalty, they're not going to get registered. Wow. And so we're, we're going to have poll challengers disrupting, challenging every signature and setting up for recounts and post-election audits. We're going to not be able to get people to volunteer to be the clerk in the clerk's function. And this drop-off ballot denial where they're shutting down all drop-off ballots outside of polling precincts, which are across the state. That's not just polls to polls where you're taking and you're opening up precincts on Sunday morning. That's getting shut down. Why are they shutting down the drop boxes in Texas? And notice, this is the pattern in all 38 states. I'm giving you Texas. But they're saying it's a felony to carry someone's ballot from the car into the polling place where it used to be put in a ballot drop box. A felony. And everyone's going to be so scared to death to hold on to an absentee ballot, and they can't be sent out and mailed in, that the rate of absentee voting amongst a large group of people who are infrequent voters or new turnouts or only come out for the presidential, tend to be low-income, people of color, are going to be wholesale excluded. They're constructing a system of disenfranchisement. And the reason this is Jim Crow law, and the reason it ties directly to Governor Abbott lying about it being a crime for 55 legislators in Texas to go to Washington, D.C., when it's not a crime, is that the interorum effect, the real deterrent of these laws, is to threaten to criminally prosecute people, lie about what's a crime, and get a lot of people who don't want to commit a crime who could lawfully vote. Well, that's why they arrested Crystal poll. Mason. That's why they arrested, uh, oh, I'm, I'm forgetting his name, Hervis? Yeah, the 62-year-old. Yeah, the 62 yeah, this, this, the, guy. You know, both, by coincidence, both black people. Uh, you know, let's arrest them and, and, and threaten them with years and years in prison. Voting rights. The Voting Rights Act was designed to cut out all of this nonsense and yes. create this large-scale presumption that sweeps across state law and says very simply, voting is a protective, protected activity. You, you have a state law that criminalizes voting in a federal election. It's going to get struck down. And if you have, and so what they're doing here is they're reversing that presumption and pretending that they're not going back to Jim Crow law by saying it's all designed to get rid of fraud and get the U.S. Supreme Court by 6 to 3 or 5 to 4 to uphold it. Right. And this is why it's Jim Crow law. We're not talking about something that won't have a, a big effect. It'll have a huge effect. It's a right. system change. And then on top of that, you got Sam Alito actually talking about voter fraud. The, you know, the Supreme Court justice, you know, parroting these, these phony tropes. Patrick, thank you. you I'd love like, if, you write, if you write about this, Tom, I would love it. Yeah, I, I, you know, Patrick, uh, send me some information. I, I, you, you are a wealth of information, and I would love to have access to it. Just uh, drop me a note. I'll right? send it to you. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. Thank you very much. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. There is a, a new strategy that the right-wing militias are using to recruit people. 
Alicia in Klamath Falls, Oregon. Hey, Alicia, how are you? What's up? Oh, I'm well, thank you. Uh, finally got through. I was. I want to refer to the Monopoly game, mm-hmm. and I am not sure why nobody's talking about Biden's executive order last week. I talked about it. It's a big deal. Um, executive order. Yeah. And so we haven't. I you know I listen to your show every day, and we haven't discussed it much. And I think it's a monumental step, and and I don't hear about it. So maybe you could explain it. You know, it would be uh, probably the way to do this, and, and Sean, you know, if we can reach out to the administration, out to the Biden administration, and say, do you guys have anybody who can speak on behalf of the administration who'd like to come in and talk about the, you know, the anti-monopoly executive order? That would, that's a great idea, Alicia. Thank you. Okay, maybe Professor Wolf can... Talk I don't think he's, well. you know, he's, he's not going to know what's in that executive order. You know, he's an economist, a professor of economics, you know, not, not an insider in the, in the Biden administration. We need somebody who can go through point by point all the things that are in that executive order. Or, you know, lacking that, I could do it. And uh, you're, you're absolutely right. I, I should. Alicia. And it, it's, so, it's so much uh, pro-small business that it shouldn't be ignored. Thank you yeah, so much. I agree. Thank you. Thank you very much. Chaz in Lakewood, Washington. Hey, Chaz, what's up? Buenos dias, mi amigo. Strasvidyanovarish. What's up? Spasiba. Hey, I'm glad you're coming back to the, what I call, hashtag sedition on the sixth or hashtag deep sixth. This is just, you know, the contrived outrage other side of the coin. If the GOP is not all fired up about Ashley Babbitt, then they're all fired up about FBI. Somehow almost knowing that they don't have to come up with the evidence. I mean, like, come on, seriously. Anti-fascists in the uh, siege on the 6th, Look, yeah, you know all the anti-fascists with their 100% white male with their Confederate flags in the Capitol and their MAGA hats and their gallows and their Nazi tattoos and their death threats to Democratic leaders for the purpose of illegally restoring Trump? Seriously? Yeah. That's why I call it hashtag sedition on the sixth, hashtag deep sixth. Yeah, that's good. Those are good ones, Chaz. Those are good ones. And Look, seriously, if Antifa, if anti-fascists, the word they don't want to use, is so pervasive in the attack, then why doesn't the GOP want to investigate it? Yeah. One of the things in that context that I found fascinating, David Frum, you know, an old line conservative Republican, this week in The Atlantic, I believe it was, wrote an op-ed saying it's time to use the F-word fascism. It's time to actually start describing what's going on inside the Republican Party, his party, as fascism. And it is. It absolutely is. Yep. They, they, are, they are going down the road like Viktor Orban is doing this. Uh, he doesn't call it fascism, but I would. He was a little less militaristic than Mussolini and Hitler, but only slightly. <laughs> so, Chaz, Hashtag Deep Six, Tom. Thanks a lot. Yeah, thanks a lot, Chaz. Good talking to you. Hashtag Deep Six. I get it. Stick around. This is the Tom Hartman Program. In our Tom Hartman Book Club today, we're reading from Shadowlands, a new book by Anthony McCann, Fear and Freedom at the Oregon Standoff. This is from Chapter 1. 
My dear friends, Ammon Bundy began and begins again and again every time somebody hits play from 2016 all the way to the end of the internet. It was the first day of a year that was to scramble an already agitated nation. Along the invisible pathways of the collective mind, the virtual tabernacle of the World Wide Web, Ammon Bundy, cowboy prophet and Facebook hero of liberty, was calling his people to the desert. Soon his friends and what they called the Patriot Movement were all hitting play, activating his familiar face and sitting back in the glow of their screens as Ammon filled their hearts with urgent feeling. It was time, Ammon was saying, for what he called a hard stand. There had been some confusion about what he'd meant in previous communiques. He'd received some pushback, and he'd sat down now on the eve of calamity in front of the camera to try and clear things up. He's at his desk in a cowboy hat. He wouldn't appear in public much again without one until his arrest weeks later on a mountain road in the snow and pines of Oregon's Hard Luck National Forest. He's wearing a checkered western shirt and sporting what was for him a new, neatly trimmed growth of beard, further softening his visage. But even with a beard, Ammon Bundy couldn't help seeming what he was, a Latter-day Saint, clean-cut to the core. The strongest word I or anyone I know has yet heard him use is creep or hell or once with evident discomfort and while making it clear he was quoting someone else, horse S-word. Before being summoned to the desert of Oregon by his god, that fall he'd been enjoying making apple pies for his Idaho neighbors, using apples from his new orchard and delivering the pies himself. But the quiet idyll of that autumn was already long over. This was to be his last video address to his online community before leading the very next day an armed takeover of Oregon's Malheur National Wildlife Refuge. A MacBook Air laptop is open on his desk, its icon doing its quiet, intrepid work to place all our American lives and dreams, even those of right-wing holy insurrection under its sign. Pale winter light comes through the blinds of the windows behind him. In the video, which he titled Dear Friends, Ammon explains how it was God who had guided him to Oregon two months earlier through news of the plight of two Harney County ranchers, a father and son, Dwight and Steve Hammond. Mandatory federal sentencing guidelines were about to send the Hammonds back to prison for arson charges stemming from fires on public lands, charges for which they'd already served time. Others, including his own father, had been urging him to look into the story. Like the Hammonds, Ammon's father, Cliven, was also a rancher. The Bundy family had achieved a national profile for the dramatic culmination of their 20-odd years struggle with federal authorities over their grazing rights on Mojave Desert lands in southern Nevada. That conflict had come to a head in April of 2014 in a remarkable event, an armed standoff with federal agents that had resulted shockingly in a seeming victory for the Bundy clan. This standoff and the family's ongoing struggle with the aftermath of their life-changing actions had felt like enough to Ammon who had recently moved far from southern Nevada to a new home with his wife and six children in the sagebrush of southern Idaho, on the far northern end of Mormon country, on the outskirts of Boise. He himself was not even a rancher anymore, had not been for years. He ran a trucking fleet maintenance business, still headquartered in Arizona. As it turned out, even that move to Idaho would come to seem, to Ammon, a part of God's larger plan for himself, his friends, Harney County, and America. There had been something a little strange about the move, even at the time. He and his wife Lisa had felt a strong, simultaneous urge to relocate. It had been a feeling that had descended as if from nowhere. 
They couldn't understand it entirely, but they followed it anyway and headed out in the spring of 2015, traveling about the Intermountain West looking at houses. Nothing had been quite right. But then on the very last day of their trip, they'd come to this very last house in a beautiful valley in Emmett, Idaho, and had known instantly that this was their place. It was one of many decisions Ammon would be guided to that year. That guidance, to Ammon's mind, had all been providential. How else to explain that he'd ended up moving to within three hours of remote Harney County, Oregon, where the whole Hammond story, which he had known nothing about at that time, had taken place. And now, here he was, just a few months later, barely settled into his new home, asking his online community to join him in Oregon, to take a momentous stand, a stand so big, he said, that nothing less than the future of American freedom might be at stake. After the move to Idaho, his next big revelation had come late one Monday evening on November 2015. On January 1st, seated in front of his camera, he told the tale of that night to his online followers. Lying in bed in his family's new home, tired after a long day, he'd received a message on his phone, a link to yet another article about the Hammonds. In the past, he'd shrugged off messages about the case. I felt that our family was fighting hard enough, he explained. We didn't need to go fight somebody else's battles. But this time, something was different. An urge quickly took possession of him, a sudden impulse to learn all he could about the Hammond family. He searched the internet and read everything he could find about the case. Unable to sleep, he read on Into the Dawn. The book is Shadowlands by Anthony McCain. Welcome back. Picking up your phone calls. Paul in Glenside, Pennsylvania. Hey, Paul, what's on your mind today? Hi, Tom. Uh, I wanted to address, I think, many of the like-minded people, Democrats, independents, even some Republicans now, who are upset that the major uh, human infrastructure bill doesn't contain many of the important components. For example, Pieces of Medicare for all by, for example, extending Medicare by lowering the age bracket down to 60 or 55 or 50. Mm -hmm. uh, they are supposed to be including an expansion of Medicare by allowing for glasses, hearing aids. This is Bernie's big announcement, yeah. Which is, you know, very good because if, you know, you don't have dental work or you, don't have, you have a hearing aid, your life's pretty miserable. What I wanted to point out to a lot of people that, that are feeling despondent or despaired or betrayed or you know, whatever, they just have a negative attitude towards this, is that the guy hasn't even been in office for nine months, and he's on track to pass three multi-trillion dollar legislative bills, which is probably more than Democrats have managed to do in the last 40 years. Yeah. He's got three more years to his term. I believe that the progress of the progressives has to change people's everyday life. And if you give people daycare and you're giving them $300 a month to take care of their kids, bringing them out of poverty, if you're giving them community college, you're giving guys that, you know, they're either not college material, they don't want to have to study calculus mm -hmm. so that they can, you know, make algorithms for credit card companies, then you're still improving people's lives and that's really really important one thing i'd like to point out about what's considered maybe a small victory and not a transformational victory what he's proposing and all the money that he's spending we can then return in another six months or another year and say look 
Let's do the Medicare expansion. Right. Let's lower the age. Let's get these uh, factories with solar panels being built. Yeah, the simple, simple reality, Paul, and I think that's what you're pointing to, is that most change actually is incremental. And step by step, we're moving in the right direction, and, and Biden has been moving in the right direction. We would all love to see much bigger steps. But, Paul, thank you. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 